0: So if you want have your Bibles with you, turn to James chapter 1. We'll be continuing in our series of James this week with a sermon that is entitled, The Verdict. I read a story once about a farmer who was out in his pasture with his favorite donkey, and the farmer found an old well, and he uncovered it, and he was looking down in it, turned his back, his donkey decides to take a tumble down into the well. Well, it was a pretty big well, pretty deep well, and the farmer could hear the animal crying down there for hours. The farmer is just looking down there, cannot figure out what, how he's going to get this donkey out of the well. And so he decides after a while, after trying to lower ropes and carrots and everything else, trying to get a rope around this donkey, that it is just too hard to go and get it. And the donkey is kind of old. It's on its last legs, and maybe it's just... Better to just kind of—he was going to fill in that well anyway—to just fill in the well and bury the donkey. So he calls some friends over, and they decide to start throwing dirt into the well and bear, just kind of bury the donkey and and try to uh, fill in this well. So as they start shoveling dirt into the the well, the donkey kind of figures out, hey, this isn't any good for me, and it gets hear it start crying and it could hear it start shaking and everything and and. After, as they kept shoveling and shoveling and shoveling, the donkey um, started quieting down. And they're thinking, oh, maybe you know, this donkey's you know, finally just had a heart attack and died or something. And, but then they were amazed as they kept shoveling dirt into this, they start seeing the donkey's back. And they're looking down and they're like, how's this donkey getting out of the hole? So, but what was happening is they were shoveling the dirt in, the donkey would just shake all that dirt off and step onto the dirt. And it just kept climbing itself out of the hole that they were trying to fill in. And soon the donkey was high enough where it just was able to jump all the way out of the hole. Moral of this story is, is that life is going to shovel some dirt on you, isn't it? Life is going to just pile on you sometimes and just feel like everything is hopeless. The trick is, to shake it off and take a step up, just like that donkey did. Instead of viewing our troubles as mountains that cannot be overcome, we should see them as God sees them and look through his eyes and that each one of our troubles is a stepping stone. So I want to talk a little bit this morning about shaking it off and taking that kind of a step up. And I want to focus on the kind of mindset that we see in the Bible, not having a victim mentality. Too many people in the, in the Christian church have a victim mentality. Oh, I would serve God if it wasn't for this. I call it a yeah, but card. Pastor, I'd be in church on Sunday. Yeah, but this Or, it's the only day I have to sleep. Yeah, but I have to sleep. Yeah, but I have to do this. Or, yeah, but I have to do that. I would give more to the church if God would increase our money. Or, you know, they have all kinds of excuses for not serving God. And I want to focus on the kind of mindset that we see in the Bible, is that you plus God can overcome anything. The message is called the verdict. The word verdict comes from a mixture of the Middle English and a Latin word, Veritas, meaning truth. When a judge asks a jury, what is your verdict? In essence, what he is saying, what is the truth of this matter? And there is a verdict that God has made about our trials. All that dirt that gets piled on onto us, all the hard things that we have to go through, and all the pain we experience in life, has an eternal purpose. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. So James chapter 1. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits in his creatures so then my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god let's pray father god we thank you lord for your word we ask father that you help us to mine its depths today we help lord ask lord for your help to to see the treasures that are within it that help us to live a victorious life before you. Because we want to live in such a way that draws people to Jesus. We want to live in such a way that shows the victory of the cross working itself out in our lives. We want to live in such a way that proclaims the mightiness of our God to this world. So, Father, be with us this morning as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us, by looking through the scripture today, to find and discover and really understand the purpose of some of the things that God allows within our lives. And there's one principle that I kind of want to frame this in and I want us to think about before we begin digging in here, and it's a question. Is God more interested with our eternal comfort or our eternal destiny? Which one do you think? Is he more interested with with what's going on here on earth with us? Or if we end up before him in such a condition that he can give us rewards? And I, I think... I think the the answer to that question is fairly obvious, but he is also interested in our eternal in our earthly comforts, but more interested in our eternal destiny. He has some rewards that he wants us to uh, to give us so that we can enjoy them forever. And let's look at some of those rewards that we will someday see. There's an eternal reason that we endure, the hardships of life there's eternal reason that we endure temptation here on earth and it is to win his approval and that approval is shown in eternity through rewards that are called crowns and these are rewards that we receive directly from the hand of Jesus When he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master, he has some rewards that he is also going to give you, and the Bible calls them crowns. Now, there's five crowns that are listed in the Bible. All five of these crowns could be a sermon within itself, but we're going to go through them just very quickly here. The first one is the crown of righteousness, and that one is given to all those who have persevered with a consistent and faithful Christian life. It is, listed in, it is um, told to us in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. It says, Finally there is laid up for me, this is Paul speaking, laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. This is something that can be given to every single Christian who crosses the finish line and hears those words of Jesus. The incorruptible crown is the next one. These are those who live a disciplined life of self-control over the flesh. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 9, 25, where it says that everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. Temperate means disciplined in all things. Now they do it to win a perishable crown, but we do it to win an imperishable or incorruptible crown. Therefore, I run like this, not with uncertainty. This I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjugation, lest, when, as I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. So this is a crown that is given to people who exercise a certain amount of self-discipline over the flesh. These are. This one will not be given to say, me, if I have a whole bunch of secret sin in my life, I might be preaching to you, but the Bible plainly says, I can preach to you, but I'm going to become disqualified for that prize. So this is given to people who live that kind of self-disciplined life before God. They're saved, even those who don't give it are saved, but they disqualify themselves if they don't discipline themselves with self-control over the flesh to receive the incorruptible crown. The next crown is a crown of glory. This one is given to those elders and shepherds or pastors or in leadership within the church who serve well. This one is listed in 1 Peter chapter five verse two, and it says, "Care for the flock God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willing, willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So that is a crown of glory given to those who lead the church well. The next one is a crown of rejoicing. It is a soul winner's crown. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he said, What is our hope, our joy, or our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you? Paul is saying that because I came and preached the gospel to you, you came to Christ. I won you to the Lord, and therefore, I am getting a crown of rejoicing because I have won souls to Jesus Christ. The next crown is a crown of life. This is patient endurance up to and including even death. Sometimes this is also called the martyr's crown. And we just read about this in James. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love them. It is talked about in Revelation where it says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison and test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. So this is talking pretty much exactly what we're talking about today, is enduring the trials and temptations and all the dirt that, that life tries to throw on us. So if you desire to live in such a way that glorifies God, you will get these kind of crowns. And remember, these really aren't Our crowns, these aren't something we're going to walk around heaven and say, hey, look at me, I got this crown. Remember, just like that song said during our worship time, we cast down our golden crowns at the feet of Christ. Because we know it was by his strength and his power living within us that we earned them in the first place. But we can't get there unless we allow the dirt of this life that is being shoveled on us to grow us into spiritual maturity. I'm not talking about rolling around in the dirt. I'm talking about being able to persevere in your walk with Christ no matter what this life throws at you. Because that's the real purpose of trials, is that to learn to take those steps up when the dirt comes, to rise above it in his power, in his strength, and for his glory. Amen? So let's look at some of the sources of trials and temptations. How many people have heard um, somebody say when they've been caught doing something bad or or something kind of naughty, you're you're hanging around them and they say, oh, sorry, the devil made me do it. How many people have heard somebody say something like that and they're trying to be cute? I think sometimes people give way too much credit to the devil in our lives. The devil is not God. The devil is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing. The devil is definitely not omnipresent. So even if he did leave the throne room of God, where he constantly stands and accuses us right now before God, even if he were to come down and start messing with Bernie, he could not then mess with Julie or Conrad or Keith or Chris. He can only be in one place messing with one person at one time. So to say that the devil is, is coming against us is, is kind of arrogant, if you think about it, that the devil has better things to do, I think, than mess with little old me. Even his demons, I think, most of the time have better things to do than to mess with us. I don't want to get into the error of denying the existence of God. Or I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to get into the error of denying the existence of demons, but also let's not glorify them by focusing on the dark realm too much and blaming it for things, every little bad thing that happens in your life. Sometimes a flat tire is just a flat tire. Sometimes your refrigerator breaking is because it's 20 years old. It isn't necessarily a demon coming through the wall and messing with you. Sometimes a bad dream is the pepperoni you ate on that pizza last night. It is this sometimes things happen in life that you that just happen. And our job is to rise above that. I remember when I first um, was in the ministry at our first church and there was a much a very very charismatic church. I mean, there were some people in our church that if they tripped or on the rug in church, they would say a demon did that. And they would I remember I was called to a house. I was the only pastor in the church at the time. I had just started in ministry and they wanted me to come and bless a house. And it was right after we had a speaker that came and he actually sold these laminated prayers for houses. And you could buy it for like five bucks on his table and all that. And it was pretty much if you prayed this prayer, no demon could exist. And one of the things on there that I thought that I we really didn't think it out until a few years later after I had some more formal Bible education. He said that, first, before you pray over a house, make sure you open up a window so the demons can get out. Really? And, and I, I, after I actually went back and I found that after I actually had some Bible training and started learning how to think a little bit better, I guess, I'm going, wait a second. So as long as I keep my doors and windows shut, no demon can get into my house? I was like, maybe if I anoint the doorposts of my house and no demon will dare come near it. And it's amazing that sometimes in the Christian church, particularly churches that are a little bit more charismatic, we start getting away from what Christ, the victory that Christ did, and we start wandering pretty darn close to witchcraft sometimes with some of the things we we do. To, To sit there and say that we have to make sure a window is open so a demon can get out, I mean... Who thought of that? And, you know, we, we get into kind of those, those kind of weird things when it comes to giving demons too much credence in, in what they can do. And as I said, I don't want to fall into the devil's best weapon, which is to have people deny his existence. But sometimes we can go the opposite way also in our life by giving them a little bit too much credit. Because if the devil has done anything, it's, pro- it's probably has to do more with twisting the goodness of God's creation to a point where sinful desire is so prevalent. He's created that within our world through his demonic forces, but when it comes to how he interacts or those forces interact with us in our day-to-day life, I think we can kind of give it a little bit too much credit. Now, this world world is obviously falling very quickly, I mean, Ten years ago, a lot of the things that we are celebrating today as being normal, ten years ago would have been unquestionably evil. But now we have churches saying that this stuff is accepted and even celebrated today. Another view that sometimes people will get when the bad things start happening in life is God is allowing the devil to mess with me. God, Maybe I'm like Job, that God said, "Hmm." Have you considered my servant down here? Okay, Satan's going to go and come and mess with me right now. I would say you probably have too high of an opinion of yourself. <laughs> Just saying, <laughs> I don't think you i don't think I'm all that important to to God's plan. I think God may get a donkey talk. He can definitely find somebody else to 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 fill my shoes. Um, I'm not again. I'm not saying that it can't happen, but. I'm just saying that maybe you should just keep your eyes on Jesus and remember that if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian here, you have the almighty, all-powerful, all-present God almighty, the Lord of heaven's armies living inside of you. If you are right with God, the devil and any of his minions would not dare come anywhere near you. Because they know you exercise the same authority of Christ. What happened when Jesus got around a demonic? Demonic freaked out and begged him not to mess with him. That same person lives inside of you. And if you are living right with God, and you are in correct relationship with Jesus Christ, those demons will have the same reaction to you. Because it's they're not seeing... Me and my weakness. They don't see John Oscar as this, you know, old, fat, chubby guy with struggling with strep throat right now. They see Christ living within me. I've often said that when sin comes knocking at your door, ask Jesus, who is living within you, to answer that door for you. I like what James, Jesus' little brother, had to say about this. James is just kind of a no nonsense guy. Meat and potatoes, breaks it all down for us regarding the sources of our temptation. James 1.13, it says, when "'Let no one say when he is tempted, "'I am tempted by God. "'God is allowing a temptation within my life,' "'is in other words what he's saying. "'For God cannot be tempted by evil.'" He points us back to the fact that God is good. God is not going to tempt us with evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But listen right here, it says, but when each one is tempted, when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, according to this verse, where does sin come from? Is it external to you through some demon, or is it internal to you through something in your heart? It might be an external stimulus. It might be a vehicle that carries it to us, but we have the choice and the power through Christ Jesus not to get on that bus. But if it has nothing to latch onto, it should not affect us. I brought with me some Velcro today. Sin is like this side of the Velcro, our hearts are like this side, the rough side. This will not connect here unless it has something to grab onto. If I fold this over here, nothing to grab onto. But if there's something here for that sin to come over and grab onto, that is when you're enticed. Because there's something in your heart that loves that sin and has not fully repented of it yet. So that should be our prayer before God. Not that that trying to cast the devil out of everything. It's God, touch my heart, that it may be like this side, that sin has nothing to grab onto with me. Now, you may have some rough sides, maybe worry. It may be fear, maybe doubt, maybe lust, maybe food, maybe selfishness, maybe the love of sports, hoping the pastor gets done before noon when the Packers start. It could be just something like that, that when that sin comes, it has something to grab onto, That is what James is saying here, that you're tempted when you're drawn away by your own desire and enticed. And that begs the question, who's in control of your heart? What rough parts of your heart exist that sin automatically can just enter in whenever it wants and grab hold? The heart of the disciple of Jesus Christ is expressed in this exhortation by the Apostle Paul, and it's found in Philippians Chapter 2 says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear, with trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We as Christians, we live in this tension between the two realities that seem both opposite of each other sometimes, and yet both are absolutely true. And this truth is called sanctification. Sanctification means that you are made holy. And this has two sides of it. First, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we appear right now, if God was going to look down, right on you right now, and you have given your heart to Jesus, He looks down and all he sees is Jesus because we wear a spiritual robe. The Bible says to put on the Lord Jesus. We do that as Christians. We put on the Lord Jesus. So when he looks down on us, he does not see the fear. He does not see the lust. He does not see the the anger. He does not see the greed. He sees only Jesus if you have um, separated yourself from this world and made him um, your Savior and Lord. So we clothe ourselves with Jesus. And this is the awesome reality that Jesus Christ was turned to a pulp to save us from our lust, our pride, and our sin. But there's also a second part of this. The reality is is that, yes, we do stand before God, totally clean, totally righteous. But there's also the other side of this, the human side, that has to be dragged into this and, and grow up in the Lord. Jesus didn't just come to save you and keep you locked in a prison cell of sin. He didn't come just to save you. It's like a a person who walks into a a jail and, and hands you a document that says, okay, you're forgiven, you're off death row, but now you get to spend life in prison. That's not the way that God saved you. God sit, unlock the prison cell and he wants you to come out of that prison. so eventually as you work out your own salvation, as you do devotionals, as you do these different things, that this becomes this over here where there is nothing for that sin to grab onto anymore. First, or second Peter chapter one says, his divine power has given us all things, Say all things all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and virtue by which you have given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that though that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust now question If our loving Father has given us all things, everything we need to live a life that is pleasing to him and equally as important, a life that impacts the world from him, where is our responsibility when it comes to working out our fear or working out our salvation with fear and trembling? How does that work? The second part of sanctification is a working of God's character within us. He doesn't just save us and leave us in filthy rags. He clothes us with righteous garments. But we have to grow up as babies in the Lord into adulthood someday. Remember, Jesus said you have to be born again. When John Oscar gave his heart to Jesus in 1993, I was born again. I became a baby in Christ. God does not want to leave you as a baby in Christ because babies really can't impact the world. Babies really can't serve in the kingdom. Babies really can't do a lot to make Jesus famous. And they, he wants you to grow up into adulthood. And that is what the second part of sanctification is, is the growing up into the things of God. God, when you get saved, it's like you're a piece of pottery that gets smashed. And God picks up the shards of this pottery. He soaks them. He gets them wet again. He soaks them in the, in the Holy Spirit, in the water of the Spirit. He makes them pliable. He puts you back on the potter's wheel, and he begins to shape you in his, into his image. And that is something that takes a lot of work. And it has to mean that you are yielding to the shaping. You know, sometimes God has to dig a thumb in. You ever had to do that, you know, with your children or something? They're, they're being bad, a, a toddler child, and, and they're, you ever walk through the supermarket and you got a mom and the kid's just freaking out, you know, freaking out, and the mom's like, I'm going to, you know, that's kind of like God. You know, God's kind of like, behave, come on, come on, and trying to, trying to uh, lead you in the way that you should go. And he's not doing it to be cruel. He's not doing it to be a killjoy. He's not doing it to be mean to us. Because spiritually speaking, remember, we're newborn babies. You know, as, as uh, I was showing a picture of, of M, my granddaughter, this morning, to a few of the people that showed up early. We went down there on Thursday to see her, and I was thinking about next time she comes up, she's going to be probably crawling and or walking, and thinking about all the childproof things that we have to do now. and And... Too often, we as, as children of God, we really want whatever that is in that bottle that's on the counter. It might be rat poison, but you ever like try to catch a child that has gotten a hold of something and doesn't want to give it up even though it's really bad for them? I remember when Haley and Cassie were growing up, they'd be grabbing stuff, and they'd go and they'd run with it, and they'd run, and I'd be chasing them around, give that thing to me, and they'd, no, 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 and you get them, and you finally corner them, and you try to grab it from them. They're like, you know, grabbing it from them, and finally they hug it to themselves. They're like, no, 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 I want this, I want this, I want this. And you, and you have to pry it out of their hands. God has to do this to us sometime, and practically that's what working out our salvation sometimes looks like to God when he's trying to rest all that stuff that we've trusted in, all that stuff that we think gives us joy, all that stuff that we think we need to make us happy and give us the mind of Christ, is to remove that old mind. And that old mind sometimes fights tooth and nail before it allows us to get, allows before, excuse me, we allow it to finally surrender to God and have him give us the new mind. So practically, how does this work out? How do we grow in Christ? Just really quick. You need to be faithful in your devotion, which means you need to set some priorities. Your first priority in life should be your prayer life. And we think that, okay, well, that means I have to, like, buy some prayers or or read from the Bible, and that's how I pray. Prayer is just a conversation with God. If you come over to my house and we have a conversation, or I go to your house and we have a conversation, I'm not reading a conversation out of a book. We're just sharing. And prayer is a two-way street. Prayer isn't just speaking at God. It's allowing him to speak to you, and that means that we have to separate ourselves sometimes from the things of this world. It means we have to turn off the computers, we have to turn off the music, we have to turn off the phones, and go and be quiet before God. You know, if I have to meet with God, I can come here, keep the lights off, keep them, not even bring music, and just sit before him and just listen. That is as much prayer as talking to him is. And it's allowing, through your prayer life, it will allow the Holy Spirit to gain even more of a reign and rule in your life. It will also give you a hunger for the study of God's word. And when I say study God's word, that's exactly what I mean, not just read it, study it. We have study Bibles galore now. I mean, the internet has given everybody here access to more <laughs> documents than it is Harvard's School of Divinity right now. You have access and most some of it's even good but you can go on to esword you can go on to bible gateway you can go on to just variety of different websites and literally study the same things that pastors study to get their degrees in theology you have all that available to you for free but we have to be willing to to do it and to put the effort into study and as that starts to get into our mind, the, the Bible says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And it penetrates, penetrates in us to dividing of soul and spirit. What does that mean? The soul wants what the flesh wants usually, and, but the spirit wants what God wants. And this word of God penetrates and divides those two and allows us to make the decision to go to God especially when we, our prayer lives are where they need to be. The third way is serving in his kingdom and being around other Christians. The reason why so many people don't have victory in their lives is because they separate themselves from other Christians. They see them once a week, maybe twice a week, and the rest of the time they're around the world and they're wondering why they struggle with sin. Well, that's why. You're not around other Christians. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and it's the same thing with the women. And the fourth way is giving toward the furtherance of his kingdom. And that's in tithes and missions giving and and different offerings like that. It's said that you can judge a person's priorities by looking at their bank statement and what they spent their treasures on. Giving is an act of worship. I know a lot of pastors like me, I don't like talking about money that much. I just hope that God's people are faithful. But it's also my job to talk to you about that because it is a significant spiritual issue. Jesus talked quite a bit about money. We want to to look at the good stuff Jesus talked about, but we don't want want to look at the hard stuff. And one of the hardest things is the money because people want to hold on to that bank statement. That's mine. I earned it. It's mine. No, God gave you the ability to earn that money, and it's all his, but he allows us to have 90% of it. That's the way we should look at our money. It's all his anyway. That's how we work out. That's the practical ways of working out our salvation. That's not earning our way into heaven. That is allowing God to put into us the nature and mind of Christ. And that was the goal of the cross, to redeem mankind to God. So what is the verdict? What is the final truth of those shaped by trial? And you see that at the end of the scriptures we read in James today. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. Of by his own will he brought forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You know, next to salvation, the greatest gift that God ever gave us was the return of the Holy Spirit living within us. You remember in John 21, it says that Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. We now have the very third member of the Godhead living within us. So we have no excuse for not living a a victorious life jesus even said that's the holy spirit's job it says when jesus said when he has come he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness as a judgment and he will empower us to live a successful and and righteous life to god that's the real benefit of what trials and temptations are is they give us a look of what is in our own hearts When we react in a bad way to a trial, it should show us, Lord, why is that? Why did I react like that? Instead of going Old Testament on people and they hurt us and saying, God smite them in their teeth, we should say, God, what are they touching in my life that is not yielded to you? What are they touching like this Velcro that's grabbing on and causing pain when it tears away? That's the question we should be asking. It has been said that you really don't understand what is in a grape until you apply pressure. And you don't understand what is really inside of you until some type of pressure comes on. Musicians, if you come back up. As your pastor, I would ask of you this morning, to ask God to search you and know you right now. Ask him, do I have any of these rough Velcro places in my heart? And the answer to everybody should be yes, all of us do. We all have these places that when a sin comes by, when, a, when certain things that just really bug us come by, they catch on and they start to tear I want you to allow God access to these places this morning, these places that you try to keep locked up, these places that said, Lord, I've given you so much, I don't need to give you any more. No, he wants it all. He wants it all. Because he wants you to finally experience freedom from that ability of that sin to affect your heart. He wants you to experience a freedom from all that dirt that life has tried to pile upon you And he wants you to be able to receive and live in joy once again. Let's all rise. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, for its truth. We thank you, Lord, for its simplicity. We sometimes try to overcomplicate things, Lord, but your word is very, very plain here. That sin comes from within us, Father. We want to make an excuse and say it comes from the outside, but your word says, Jesus, your bold little brother, show people the work of Jesus in our lives. We can show people the the Holy Spirit shining through us, and we can exist even more and more day by day in such a way, Lord, that people look at us and say, I want that. People look at us and say, I need whatever they got. Father, that's our prayer this morning, and I ask that you do that as we enter back into our time of worship now. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts, and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly, in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnosker at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.